week of December 5th, 2021. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 564, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And not in Cape Town, South Africa, I'm Michael Giltz. That's right. This was supposed to be your first week away for no, a wedding no, in no. South Africa. No, it, not this week, but uh, I'm, as you can imagine, not happening. <laughs> so yeah. the wedding, which was supposed to take place in December of 2020, and then was delayed till December of 2021, has now been delayed until January of 2023. So 13 months from now, we're going to try again. These kids are going to have their grandchildren at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the question: Will there be? Are they already married? And this is just the ceremony, the like uh, reception kind of thing. Nope, they are not married. Oh my goodness! So literally, living they're, in sin. they're living in sin. Okay, wow. It's and, a modern and how world. how are you related to these people? Or or, or it's my are they nephew, family my nephew. It's the first it's grandson nephew. in our family, uh, uh, our generation, to get married. Wow. Okay. So my mom's and, grandson is the first grandchild to get married for my mother. Wow. She and wants she wants great grandchildren. Come on, hurry. She's 92 <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> My goodness. This is unbelievable. I did not realize that so we thought uh, they maybe those- we thought maybe we would be missing a couple weeks episodes. No, no reason to miss any of them, Sperling. We can do every episode. We can we can stream live through Christmas and New Year's. Or do you have plans? We will be. Yeah, uh no no, I'm I'm No travel plans. Where- no, just one week. Just one week. With, well, that's a travel uh, plan. That is a travel plan. Yeah. So, so just one week. The week of, uh, I think it's the week of. I don't know when it is. To be honest with you, I have to go and check my calendar. I'm just told where to go and when to be there. That's right. So the usually Christmas five is, minutes ahead of time. Christmas is on a Saturday. Okay. So are you away the week before, or like the middle of the week to the middle of the following week, or what's the deal? I do not. know. I don't know. Okay. Well, when you find out, tell us. And before that. Tell us what we're going to talk about this week. This week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are deep into award season. Newspapers and magazines and websites are naming their favorite stuff of the year, and we're almost embarrassed to imagine, look, how many times is Showbiz Sandbox going to be named one of the best podcasts of the year? Enough, enough. Oh, it's embarrassing. You know, every year, every we should probably take ourselves out of the running. You right, know, right, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Bill Cosby did. I think after five years of Cosby show, I think he took himself out of the, he kept winning every year. Well, and, and I'm tempted to make a poor joke and say, boy, he went to extremes on that, that, that front. Uh, by the way, big movies are also on pins and needles, and they don't have to wait any longer because the National Board of Review named its favorite film of the year and then 32 more in various categories. So no one's feelings would be hurt. The New York Film Critics Circle, uh, well, guess what? They were a little tougher. They named five top films in categories like nonfiction, first film, animated foreign and top English language movie because there aren't enough of those. Uh, The news wasn't so good for the Cuomo family, on the other hand, which won the award for most siblings to lose their jobs in the Me Too era. How about most siblings to lose their jobs in 2021? On inside base, yeah, you know, either way. Someone else has that. Someone else has that award, I think. Okay. Well, on Inside Baseball, we've, we're going to do a rundown of theater shutdowns, movie theater shutdowns, country by country. Thanks, Omicron, which I keep calling Omnicron, which either way, I think it sounds like, like a Transformers bad guy, you know? It sounds like a Marvel superhero. Optimus Prime, I am Omicron, and I will defeat you. 
Right, exactly. Uh, of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Gilt to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. And the number one movie is Disney's Encanto, $46 million this week. It's at $116 million worldwide. Uh, This is the weekend after Thanksgiving in North America. It's usually pretty slow, but we're looking at worldwide box office, so they're looking pretty good. Encanto, it's at $116 million. Not a lot for a Disney movie yet, but it had a decent hold. House of Gucci also had a pretty good hold. $32 $32 million this week. It's at $67 million worldwide. It pretty much held steady. So it opened up on like a Thursday with that opening weekend anticipation. And then the following week, it made the same amount of money, basically. So that's that's quite a good sign, I think. Even though the reviews weren't great, people turned out for it. And number three is Ghostbusters Afterlife, another $29 million. That's at $145 million worldwide. I loved it when people said, does, does this revive the franchise? I'm like, it wasn't a franchise. (laughs) You had a movie and then you had a flop sequel. And then 20 years later, whatever, you had a a reboot that didn't work. And now they're trying again. But, you know, keep trying to reboot a movie or have a sequel. That's not a franchise. (laughs) You got to have at least two hits, don't you think? In a row, in fact. I would say two two hits hits in a row. row. I mean, they did have the cartoon. The original film was a phenomenon. I think it's a very funny movie. It's very clever. It's a unique Big budget, special effects driven comedy. There aren't many of those, that's for sure. And there's not many of this movie. It's called Schemes in Antiques. It's a new movie. It opened up in China. It's sort of an adventure film. A Japanese family is returning a Buddha head to China, but there's some supernatural curse on it. I get sort of a Raiders, probably a Tomb Raiders vibe, not not Laura Croft, but the Japanese Chinese Tomb Raiders movies. I get that sort of a vibe, an Indiana Jones sort of vibe, supernatural doings, archaeological digs. Not sure what's going on here, but it opened up in China and it made $26 million. That's Schemes and Antiques. Right below that is another Chinese film. It's a good hit. It's called Be Somebody. This is a period mystery. It made another $21 million. It's at $117 million worldwide. Eternals. Hey, you know what? I went to the drive-in for a double bill over the weekend. I saw Encanto followed by Eternals. So I had quite the double bill at the at the drive-in. And uh, Encanto was good. Eternals, not so much. I finally saw a, a couple of movies, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was uh, uh, No Time to Die, which you'd think I would have seen already. But for some reason, the timing just never worked out. I went yeah. to see No Time to Die. Uh, I said, you know, I really want to show the studios that people do come out and see the films in their eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th weekends. Yes. And I did. Now, mind you, I was the only person in the cinema watching it. It was a private screening because I guess people people don't go to, uh, to drive-ins in the winter time. I think they shut down for the winter. I don't know why you're in your car, but yeah, there was nobody at the drive-in this weekend on Friday night. It was empty when I, I thought I'd come at the wrong time. There were so few people when I pulled in, I thought, what the hell? (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, yeah what the, did you the think? theater was kind of empty. I, I I get why everybody's upset by the ending. Um, did you see the movie? I did. Okay. Uh, I thought you know it could have been shorter, but I thought it was some uh, fine filmmaking. I you know it, it kept my interest the whole way through. Yeah, no, I, I was not a I was not a fan. I didn't think it was that good. Um, I thought Rami I, I, for some reason the the bad guys are all deformed thing bothered me this time. It's sort of a trope throughout all of film history, but the fact that you had both 
uh, Christoph Waltz and Rami Malek being sort of deformed or bad. It's just, for some reason, I just thought that was lazy. I didn't find either of them very interesting. thought the movie took way too long to get where it was going. And even though I've seen the other Daniel Craig movies, I just don't remember the whole back complicated backstory. It was like, what? Who's Vesper Lynn? Why am I supposed to care about her? What did she do? I didn't remember any of it. So all this well, weight that was supposed to have built up over these movies – it went right over my head. I can still remember who Luke Skywalker is and all that, but for some reason, the last four films of the Daniel Craig, I was like, you know, I haven't been taking notes, so I really don't feel the weight of all their machinations. Like, I don't want to have to remember that much. You know, I took my youngest daughter, who has, I don't think she's ever seen a James Bond movie, and I asked her afterwards, I said, you know, I, I warned you going in that you might not understand some of these things. She said, well, I kind of just figured Vesper was important to him. And, right, right. Yeah, you know, she said, so she kind of like took a lot on faith. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, but it I got the broad outlines, but I just didn't think the movie, it just didn't matter. Same thing with Eternals, you know, Eternals ends, and of course, there's two kickers, I'm like, whatever i feel exhausted by the endless marvel universe you know now there's new characters and they're hinting at new things that are going to happen in other it's just oh yeah 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 i don't you know whatever but there's well you know i i also saw another movie that uh, you know all these uh foreign language films are being screened now and and they're coming out i saw a movie called tigers which was directed by ronnie sandal oh that looks beautiful yeah it's based on the martin bank bankson uh i'm probably mispronouncing that bankson uh, it's Swedish name. Uh, he wrote an autobiography of his time as a professional footballer or soccer player for Inter Milan. Here's the thing. He started at the age of like 16, between 16 and 18. And it, and it kind of revolves around mental illness and how the, the whole professional soccer, you know, at least in Europe, how that whole thing is such a grind and they kind of grind through all these players. Oh, it's a uh, grind everywhere. Every professional sport is like that. Yeah, it's it was uh, it was interesting, and then I I realized that uh, Michael, you and I are not doing enough. Here here's why: because no, I went from Tigers, where there was a 16 year old kid that was playing professional soccer, to 14 Peaks, which was at Doc New York City, of course, the big documentary film festival. I'm still watching movies from that festival. That festival, I swear, has more document. I mean, granted, it's called Doc New York City, but there's just not enough time to see all these films. 14 Peaks is now on Netflix, but this is about uh, Nimsdai Persia. Uh, he went off and decided, you know what? I'm going to set a world record. I'm going to climb all of the 14 world's tallest peaks, 8,000 meters and above. I'm going to do it in seven months. Seven months. I mean, I don't even know how you acclimatize yourself to that. And I realized, oh my God, this guy's doing this. What am I doing? I'm sitting here watching movies. I should be doing something more productive. Well, when you were talking about the tigers, I thought you were talking about the Velvet Queen, which is a documentary about uh, cats in the wild, which looks, it's a wildlife by a wildlife photographer, uh, Vincent Mounier. Um, that's comes out in December 22nd. It was at con. So I thought maybe you'd seen it there or something. So that's the movie I was thinking that looks beautiful. It looks striking nature documentary, but the, the football film sounds interesting too. Uh, but I do recommend Encanto. There's one reason I thought it was pretty solid and they made one creative choice. I really liked Eternals. I was really tired by, I have to say. And the uh, kickers at the end, just like, ugh, whatever. But we're back at the box <laughs> office. Eternals made $16 million. It's going to hit $400 million worldwide. Then there was Venom, Let There Be Carnage. That made $13 million. That's about to hit $500 million worldwide. Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, 
That's not going to get even close, but it did make $10 million this week. It's now matched its budget of about $25 million. Thanks to Sperling, No Time to Die made another $10 million. That's at $763 million worldwide. It's the top Hollywood release of the pandemic era, though, of course, China has done better with the Battle of Chongqing. Uh, Christmas with the Chosen, The Messengers. This is the big movie of the week. Christmas with the Chosen, The Messengers, is a film on the uh, made on the set of the TV show The Chosen. The TV show The Chosen is a uh, like a wildcat funded, you know, privately funded. Uh, what do you call it? A fan funded TV series about the life of Jesus. They've done okay. two seasons so far. Um, they're on weird platforms around the world. It's hard to find and track down, but you can get access to them. Uh, they've gotten polite reviews by some people. A lot of people of color in the cast, which isn't usual for shows. About Usually it's all blonde hair, blue eyed people, but uh, this show has that. But it's done pretty well. There's going to be more seasons. And they filmed a nativity story, I believe, on the set. But they also had some big name acts, like for King and Country, big name gospel acts coming in, Christian music acts, performing Christian uh, holiday music during this special. So it's sort of a nativity slash concert special is the vibe I get. It was held via Fathom Events, and it's the biggest Fathom event of all time. The biggest attended, the biggest single gross. It made $9 million this week. Um, it was a huge success, and it's and it's still ongoing. It's not going to stop this week. They're going to keep showing it through the holiday season, so it's not like a one-day event. So that's kind of really interesting. It's fan-funded TV series. They've launched off, spun off a movie, made it a Fathom event. It's shown for 10 days already or six to seven days already. That's how they made $9 million. And they're going to keep going, having screenings right through the holidays. So this is one to keep an eye on. Fan-funded events can work sometimes. You find the right niche audience, you get the right project, and the TV show's done well enough that they've had two seasons and they're going to have a third. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, apparently, you haven't heard about it. So, no, uh, no, no. after that is Dune, that made $8 million. That's at $382 million worldwide. And then a couple smaller movies. The French Dispatch made another $4 million. That's at $37 million worldwide. The Battle of Lake Chongjin hit $900 million. I hope they take it out of theaters right now. It made exactly $900 million worldwide. It's not going to get to a billion. That's awfully impressive. The biggest movie of the pandemic era worldwide. The biggest Chinese-made film of all time. Uh, but it's not the only Chinese film. Also out there is Your World Without Me, which is some sort of Chinese drama. That opened softly with $3 million. And then The Door Lock. The Chinese suspense film, which is a remake of the Korean suspense film, which is a remake of the Spanish suspense film. It made $2 million this week. I think its total is $36 million. Last week, we reported it was $44 million. But I think what happened was that somebody conflated and added in the Korean grosses to the Chinese grosses, thinking it was the same film. I had noticed that difference, and I thought I'd accounted for that. But I think at some point, somebody said... You know, oh no, this movie must be at this amount. And they added in the $12 million the Korean film made in Korea, thinking it was the same film, but it's not. This movie, the Chinese language movie, it seems to have made $36 million worldwide. And this week, it seems to have made just $2 million. Uh, but Belfast with Kenneth Brown, I made a little bit of money. And this Japanese anime film, Sword Art Online Progressive, Aria of a Starless Night. 
a title only a fan of anime could love. <laughs> that made $1 million in North America. It's at $12 million worldwide. And Sing 2, which should be a big hit, the original made $630 million worldwide. The sequel has just opened up in a few very small territories. It made just $1 million, but that's not a bad sign. It's in very, very small countries, so we'll have to see where it ends up. But maybe even the bigger news, the biggest news was Fathom Events. Number two is in China, they released the Korean film, Oh My Gran or Oh Moon Hee. Uh, it's a Korean film from a couple years ago, and it was only shown in limited release. It didn't even break a million dollars, but it ended a six-year boycott that China had on Korean films. So there's a number of how reasons. Did they get through, how did they get through Parasite without – I guess they can. They can just yeah, go through the, movies without the, showing them. Yeah. We don't have inequality. Yeah, well, and and uh, the Matrix, uh, the Matrix Resurrection, that got a Chinese release date. It opens up in the U.S. and many countries in mid December. It opens up in China one month later on January fourteenth. So uh, that's not great because that means you know they're going to have piracy. a lot of piracy, uh, and China just doesn't want to show foreign films, international films during that rich holiday season of Christmas holidays and new year. And so they're just not going to let any, any international films play until mid January. And then the matrix will be there. I don't think West side story has a, has a Chinese uh, release date yet, but is it shot in IMAX? I saw its first week. It's doing a, a, an IMAX special fan talk back event. And I thought, Oh, is the movie shot in IMAX? Should I see it in IMAX? And I tried to find out and I couldn't, I didn't see it yeah, in the trade reviews. You know what? And I, I, one way I went or the out- other. Yeah, and I went out and uh, I contacted IMAX. I'm waiting to hear back to find out that that question you asked me where you could find out. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, and we shouldn't I, have going- to. We shouldn't have to call up IMAX. There should be a way to know. Yes, this film was shot. You know, half of it, forty percent, eighty percent, all of it in IMAX. So it'd be good to know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's also good to know that you should not help your brother. Don't ever help what? your brother. Just don't what? help your brother. No matter what happens, don't help your brother. If he gets in trouble, tell him you're on your own. That is not the message of Chris Cuomo at CNN. Uh, A number of headlines said Chris Cuomo was fired because he tried to help his brother. It's like, no, he was fired because he misled them and wasn't honest about what he did. You know, well, and then there out, was some sexual misconduct thing that but, came up in the even last be- Even before that, no, no, no. Even before that, he had, he had misled them about what he had done. He said, yes, I spoke to my brother or his family first, but, you know, I shouldn't have done that, and that was wrong. Well, it turned out he did a lot more than chat with his brother and help him strategize. He was calling up sources. He was digging up dirt on women who had who had come forward to talk about uh, Governor Cuomo. He'd done all sorts. Of, he was like in full attack mode, like an operative, a political operative for him. It's like that's you know you're at CNN. You can't do that. And other CNN people started to call him out, like Jake Tapper, and said that's not good. That's not right. That should not be happening. That's not what journalists do. And so that was it. At the last minute, also, uh, one person who used to work with him, we also knew he had a a sexual harassment complaint against him from another person that he worked with. Remember that news producer who said he grabbed her ass at a party? He said, well, it wasn't sexual. It's like, well, it wasn't cool. It's yeah. like, well, which he, which he, by the way, copped to. He said, yeah, it wasn't. Well, he didn't cop to it. He, she called her husband, saw him, called him out on it, and he apologized in an email the next day. But no, he, did, he didn't say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. He got caught. said, well, I guess I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> you know, getting caught doesn't mean that you cop to it. And we're like, oh, I shouldn't. Have. I've had second thoughts. Yeah. So let's not pretend it's about uh, one allegation that a second allegation has come forward or about anything other than the fact that he basically lied to them about what he did for his brother. They didn't find out what he actually did until 
uh, emails and text messages were released by an investigation at the state. We had a, an attorney general investigate the governor and say, yes, there's a pattern of sexual harassment that was unacceptable. Then we had a state level investigation that found again that there was this a number of instances against Governor Cuomo who deserved to resign. And now in that investigation, CNN suddenly found out, oh, wow, look. He kind of lied to us. He did all this stuff that we had no idea about. If he'd been honest with them from the start, maybe he'd get away with it and still have his job. But because he misled them and didn't wasn't forthright with them, that's why he's out, period. Well, there there was also calls in the newsroom way back in June, July for him to be. Yeah, even before we knew all the, the extent of yeah. what he did. Yeah, no, it was like, much hey, worse than you know, what we and, had. And a lot of people felt, you know, how do you hire a guy like – you know, it'd be like hiring the 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 president's brother to do a, you know a newscast. It's like, how do you do that? You can't cover your brother, uh, and he did. He stayed away from him, except when it came to the coronavirus. He finally did actually have him on as a guest to talk about. And they all thought it was great, seeing and loved it. But that's Jeff Zucker for you. Lots of bad decisions, both at the Today Show. Remember the Today Show? Remember the scandals there? Oh yeah. Now CNN, multiple scandals of journalistic and and sexual misconduct. There's Jeff Zucker again. Well, here's the thing. A couple of th- well, what makes this a big deal? Uh, and I know that's not we're not in that segment yet, but what makes this he's so a top primetime guy. Exactly. So Chris Cuomo being the he's kind of like the uh, uh, although not as caustic, certainly, and actually far more accurate. Uh, the well, I guess. No, don't compare there him to somebody Fox? on Fox. Don't compare him to somebody on Fox. <laughs> I'm not a fan of him, particularly. I don't watch those primetime shows. I want news. I don't want, I don't watch TV for news. I only watch, I only read newspapers and stuff. I don't watch, unless it's some actual breaking story to watch, I don't watch TV news. But no, he's, he's not like them. He doesn't peddle in lies and misinformation. He doesn't peddle in hate. Uh, you know, he had a primetime show, was perfectly fine. It's a personality-driven show, just like Sean Handy and Bill O'Reilly and all those people. But Tucker Carlson. Right, and, but he's not trafficking in lies and misinformation. No. But he, it, it, should he have ever had a job? Sure. I can't have a career because my brother's the governor. You know, I can be a journalist if my brother's a governor. You know, I just he won't be on my beat. That seems reasonable to me. Which is exactly what happened up until this year. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, the, the other thing is that you have the discovery, uh, well, the company, Discovery, buying Warner Media, which owns, of course, CNN. Yeah. So, and John Malone is a big shareholder in Discovery, and he basically, in no uncertain terms, came out and said, I don't want CNN to be peddling in opinion. I want them to be go back to their roots and be just a hard news source like they used to be. I and want CNN to lose money. <laughs> right, exactly. I was like, you know, Mr. Malone, it's great that you're you own a you know a huge stake in Discovery, but uh, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but unfortunately, that's not that, the world you know, we're living anymore. Time has moved on. Yeah, I mean, if they do that, they will literally be losing millions of dollars. Well, there's there's no reason not to have uh, strong investment in journalism and be dealing with hard news stories. They deal a lot more with you know documentaries on Diana, Princess of Wales, and food docs than they do with hard news stories, but they have a good documentary film division. They're creating yes, some good stuff. Good. Uh, you know, investing in journalists to do the work overseas and in the U.S. and different parts of the country, that would be great. There's plenty of room for more original reporting on CNN rather than having six talking heads debating, you know, what might happen tomorrow. So I'm all for that. But in terms of prime time, you're still going to have personality-driven shows, I think. 
And when it comes to movies, you're still going to have lots of awards people trying to be first. National Board of Review, do they matter that much? Well, they're kind of first, aren't they? That's their big claim to fame, isn't it? That's literally, their, yeah, they're, I want to say their only claim to fame, but sure. uh, I mean, nobody knows, nobody really knows who's, who is picking these people? Who is, who is the National Board of Review? That's like well, the joke every year when, when it's an announced is like, who are these people again? Well, they named a lot of movies. They have a category of top films. Then they have a category of top international language films, then top documentaries, top independent films, you know, like be men, man up. No, I shouldn't say that. That implies, but I say be, be an adult just to say, it. but they did name their big four. Their best international film was a hero. The Ashkar Farhadi film from Iran. The best documentary is summer of soul from Questlove, which you can see on Hulu, I believe. The best yeah, animated film is Encanto. I haven't seen the other movies, so I don't know. But what was what won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Breakthrough Performance for the two leads, the big winner at the National Board of Review? Is it not... Uh, I, I don't know. Who, what, what did win? Uh, Drive My Cart? No. No, that uh, was the New York film. Oh, Licorice Pizza. Licorice, Licorice Pizza. Pizza. The big winner at the National Board of Review. That's right. So they named a bunch of movies, but at least they put their money where their mouth is. Licorice Pizza was their pick for the big film of the year. That's what they gave a big boost. Uh, and when you come to the New York Film Critics Circle, they were right behind um, right behind uh, the National Board of Review. They liked Licorice Pizza as well. They gave it best screenplay for Paul Thomas Anderson, but that was about it. The movie they seemed to like the most was, I think, The Power of the Dog. It got Best yeah. Director for Jane Campion, Best Actor for Benedict Cumberbatch, and Best Supporting Actor for Cody Smith-McPhee. However, the best film of the year, they said, was the Japanese, Japanese film, Drive My Car, based yes. on the Haruki Murakami short story. Did you see that at Khan? I did, all three hours of it. It's a, it's a very interesting movie, and it certainly, yes, it was three hours. Could it have been shorter? Absolutely. Uh, did it feel like three hours? Uh, um, maybe not. Was um, it on your best films of the year list? It is definitely one of them. Yes, it, I would okay. say it'll, if if I, you know, I haven't really. I know never created best of you know top ten or anything, but it was definitely one of those movies where you're remembering it after it, it occurs and, or after you've seen it, and it basically is about a a theatrical director, a theater director who finds out his wife is cheating on him with an actor, believe it or not, a young actor. Oh, oh. And, and uh, I won't That's give anything. That's what young actors are for. I won't give anything more away because well, good. well it's, it's, yeah. and it's a road trip movie. So that's, that's why most of it takes place in a car and it's so long. It's, it's not a road trip, but he, 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 he likes to, aren't they he in has a car to drive one hour to and from the theater where he's going to put on this checkoff play where everybody speaks in their native tongue. So every <laughs> single person is speaking a different language. Like I'm doing it checkoff in French. You're doing it in English. He's doing Correct. it in Russian. Cool. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating movie and, and well worth uh, the time. Well, I look forward to seeing it. They did like other movies. They named the best animated film, not Encanto, but The Mitchells versus The Machines. Uh, their best first film, that's a different category, Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter, which also might be a player come Oscar time. Best foreign language film, The Worst Person in the World from Norway. And best documentary, Flea. So lots of movies in the mix. It's just beginning. The whole point of these is to say, hey, that movie looks like it might be worth seeing. That's about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so none of, neither of these are big deals, but they are useful tips to say, hey, you want to check out Licorice Pizza, which our in-house film critic Aaron Rich liked quite a lot. 
he, he strongly endorses that movie. I haven't seen Everybody it yet. I know who's seen it loves it. Yeah, oh, cool. Oh, Chris Cuomo, by the way, has stepped back from Sirius XM. He had a radio show on there. He said, it's been a difficult week. <laughs> Extraordinarily difficult week for my family. That's true. And why is he stepping back from Sirius XM? I mean, that was... Well, because I guess all they would want him to talk about is, you know, he's, he's embattled. It's the embattled Chris Cuomo. Oh, okay. Well, how, how do you come back from that then? You wait six months or a year like Brian Williams, and who had le- far less issues than he did, as far as I'm concerned. And you're a talented and a big name and a big draw, and somebody will work with you. And hopefully you do good work again and, and rebuild people's trust. Yeah. Okay. Well... You know, uh, you mentioned that uh, something wasn't a big deal. I don't even know what it was. What, these awards aren't big deals? But uh, They are you know when we get named Best Podcast of the Year. But it, it yes. is time. Yes. For? T- for? Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story could China, be- China, China, China. Yes. Big deal or big... No, just kidding. Uh, here's the thing. In sports, the women's... Tennis Association took a step no other league has taken. It stood up to China. And I thought it was the professional, like the whole, the tour said, we're not going to China. It was the The WTA. The men specifically, the men's tour specifically have not. Like, well, we're concerned, but we think the best way to deal is to interact by continuing to go to China and make a lot of money. Right. (laughs) Somebody said when it comes to, uh, They said something like, when it comes to tennis, it turns out the WTA has the balls and not the men. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, and that was a reference to the fuzzy yellow yes, balls that's right. that we were our hit back and forth on the court. Anyway, Kids, top- cover your ears. What happened? Yes. What happened? Well, a, a top Chinese player, a very big Chinese player, one of the top rated in the world. Well, she said a top government official raped her. And ever since, she has been essentially disappeared. And that is not a grammatical error. She has been disappeared. While an Olympic official spoke to her after worldwide pressure on China, no one believes the player is free to speak out. Like many sports, tennis is a growth industry when it comes to China and sees a lot of room to grow and, of course, make money. Nonetheless, it has pulled all to- the WTA has pulled all tournaments from the country until they know that uh, this particular player and all players are free from coercion and rape and can speak out about a crime without facing reprisals. Seems reasonable. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Um, it's a big deal. I wish it was a bigger deal. The men's association, of course, the men's tennis tour is like, oh, we're not stopping going to China. <laughs> it's very hard. You know, what do you do? There are lots of countries. Golf is played in Dubai that, you know, condemned by the UN and international human rights groups for basically enslaved people. You know, it's like people are enslaved to build those hotels and golf courses and work there. So you'd be rolling out a lot of countries and a lot of money if you stood up for what you believed was right. But you got a player on your tour who says, I was assaulted, I was raped, and then she's disappeared and you're not going to do anything about it. I don't see that. And actually- predicts she said i'm saying this now yeah and i know i'm gonna pay a price yeah she said i will literally she said you will read this and within like a like a week you'll never know i existed right so good for paying good for her uh yeah we didn't mention her name is that their reason for that uh i just didn't want to see a struggle with the pronunciation i forgot to look up her it's peng shui peng shui i'm not sure how to pronounce it but i can't be correct because i said it two different ways so only one of those can be no it's peng shui it's Peng Shui. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, uh, at some point you just got to say, wait, what's, is it worth the money? 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's most of the well, time and, they decided is. <laughs> and the U.S. has decided that they are not going to be uh, sending any diplomatic representatives to the 2022 Olympics. And I think that's the way to go. I think athlete boycotts don't work. I think it's why punish them, let them go. I think that makes just, you know, discourage people to go as fans and bring money and just and don't go there as a diplomatic and say, oh, everything's fine. And that's part of what the, it, the pressure is here because China's going to be hosting the Olympics. That's one reason they allowed the Korean film to come to uh, into Chinese cinemas, just limited release. But why did they do that? Number one, it's the anniversary of China and Korea working together to fight against the United States and Korea during that war. And secondly, they're wanting Korea to come to the Olympics, of course, and be part of the Olympics. So they're going to be welcoming them with open arms. They need to start being nice again. And this is one way to do it. Well, you know, uh, speaking of being nice, the Recording Academy... Warning, warning, SOS. Sperling is going to be riffing it. He's going to be winging it. <laughs> yeah, here, here's the thing. So, yeah, I added two late-breaking stories, or I, and they weren't late-breaking, but they were late-breaking to me, so I, I put them here at the end. And Taylor Swift and St. Vincent were, were, were kind of axed, along with Jack Atenoff, actually. Uh, they, they were thrown off of uh, the Grammy nomination for Olivia Rodrigo Sour. And here's why. It was an interpolation of Deja Vu. So Sour being an interpolation of a Taylor Swift song that was written by St. Vincent, Jack Atenoff, and Taylor Swift. And the, the Grammy said, you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, we will nominate the writers, but not the writers of the song that it was kind of based off. Right. Of. So you've got a new song that sort of samples this one way that they use a, a bridge or a melody or music or something, an element from another song. It's called an interpolation. It's not quite the same as just sampling, but it's the same idea. Taking a piece of one song, using it in the backdrop for another, like uh, the Ariana Grande song that used my favorite things from The Sound of Music. And there are more people credited for that new song. But they didn't all contribute to the new song. They were people who wrote the old song. So the Grammys have this new role. They're dealing with this. They actually greatly expanded their songwriting categories and Grammy nominations. This is the real story here. If you look at who's nominated for Best Album of the Year, when you look at like Justin Bieber's album, you've got 73 songwriters. This is the collective songwriting world we have now. You can have one track with like, 12 people contributing to it. Another track might sample an older song. So you've got dozens of people listed on most of the albums of the year. They're the list of not, I was like, what's going on here? And I realized they have a new uh, recognition of all the people that are contributing. I think it makes sense. It's right. These people have a songwriting credit on the album. The album is up for album of the year. Sure, they deserve it. Not if it's an interpolation. I think that also makes sense. Otherwise, you might have had Rodgers and Hammerstein nominated last year, and that kind of doesn't make much sense. They have to legally get the right. They have to legally credit them. But when you're saying, who deserves a Grammy nod for that new Ariana Grande song, it's probably not Richard Rodgers. So this is not a diss on Taylor Swift or St. Vincent. Uh, if you look at who's actually nominated, you'll see dozens of people on a lot of these albums of the year list. It makes her sense. has 51 nominated writers. Her, uh, her out H E, you know, H period, E period, yeah. R period, 51 nominated. Doja cat has 35 nominated writers. Kanye West, his album Donda, which of course just made the list because they expanded it to 10. Cause they said, we need to have Kanye West and Taylor Swift on our best albums of the year list. He has 77 Grammy eligible songwriters. So that's, what's going on there. I think it was a smart move. There's no reason to like ignore people just because they had one credit on one song. Why? They contributed to the album of the year. What happens if... I don't if, think they all get to, to take the stage. I don't even know if they I all was get... Say I don't even know if they even all get a statue, but that's, I guess, to be determined later. They'll need a bigger well, stage. We're going to yeah. need a bigger boat. 
Well, it's we, kind of like uh, when when the at the Emmy Awards when they say you know and, and the award for best uh, be, best reality show goes to the Amazing Race or whoever it is, and then like five hundred producers right. jump on the stage and they're like, "What? Well, Why? the stage will these- not have to be so big to accommodate Drake." Drake was nominated for two Grammy nominations this year, even though in general he and and others like uh, The Weeknd have said, we're not playing the Grammy game anymore. You just want us to show up and boost ratings, but you're not willing to respect our work. He got nominated this year in two categories or two different times, and he has withdrawn his nomination. He's asked to be taken off the list and not be eligible to win a Grammy. He doesn't want to be on there. Uh, I assume this is part of the boycott that he has against the Grammys and how they nominate and award people and how they respect people when it comes to on-air performances and things like that. And they just don't want to be involved in it right now. That's a big deal. And that's a big problem for the Grammys when the biggest acts in the world, like The Weeknd and Drake, feel like they're not respected by you. Not good. Not good. Well, and this next story, I should, probably should have I, mentioned either no, I, earlier or right after the the uh, you were talking about the Korean film being released in China, because West Side Story will not be released in Saudi Arabia and many other Gulf nations, and that is because uh, it it didn't clear censorship, and Disney will not cut it. And di- the reason it's Disney is because it's a Fox film, Fox being owned by Disney. Uh, it's Steven Spielberg's adaptation of West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eternals, you know, had the same problem. And it, with West Side Story, it's because there is a, I guess there's a trans character and they won't edit that out. So well, in Eternals, you have a gay character uh, played ah, okay. by Brian Tyree Henry who kisses another. He's got a husband and a son and he kisses his husband goodbye when he goes off to save the world, if not the galaxy. And what are you supposed to do? Wait, hey, or handshake, handshake. Yeah, handshake. Uh, right. so, and so <laughs> go that, save the world. <laughs> so that cool element of the, uh, and Brian Tyree Henry is practically the best thing in the movie, even though he's given one dumb thing to do with that I found annoying, but he's very good in the movie. And I like that element of the film and not enough to save the movie for me. In this case, the original West Side Story had a girl who was a tomboy. That's how she was seen and presented back then. That's how we thought about people who didn't fit gender roles. She was a tomboy, and she really didn't fit in, and she hung out with the, the male gang, and they she sort of hung out on the periphery, and they just kind of, you know, suffered her. Sometimes, get away, get out of here. You know, she was sort of not accepted anywhere, but sort of accepted on the fringes somewhere. And in this movie, apparently, I haven't seen it yet, They've sort of made it a little more clear. She obviously doesn't call herself transgender. Nobody else sees her that way. But they're a little clearer about who this is and why she doesn't fit in. They see her as a non-binary person who just doesn't fit in anywhere. And so her role has a little more significance and a little more empathy in the way it's portrayed. Does this matter? Is this a big deal or big whoop? Well, you tell me, Sperling, how much money would the movie have possibly grossed if it played in Saudi Arabia? I do not know. Good I know, but question. Y- the answer is very little. Yeah, I mean, at some point they're they're what's the highest grossing what's the highest grossing film of all time in Saudi Arabia in say a Hollywood film ten million dollars? I don't know, and that is the question. Right, but probably less than twenty million dollars or something like that. Right, they've had very little cinema, and they don't have a lot of theaters right now, even do they? Uh, No, they are of course uh, trying to change that. Uh, It doesn't help when you have you know your. You know, you're, you're basically, uh, you know, not inviting films to, to play. Uh, I'm actually going back in time here to see if I can find any uh, any film. Uh, I've, I've seen Waj- in 2012. I see a, 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 a Vajda, Vajda, W-A-D-J-D-A made $14 million. Well, no, that's a Saudi film. I'm sorry. Yes, correct. 
But that made $14 million worldwide. I'm assuming most of that happened in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so that's pretty good. Well, in this year, uh, you had, uh, let's see, well, the, the whole box office, the top 10 gross is like $2.6 million. Right. The, so, the weekend F9 opens. So right. So your, your movies are going to tap out easily at maybe $10 million if you're really lucky. And, yeah. Well, and again, uh, yeah, so... Right, yeah, so not a big much. market. It's a shame when they when they don't allow movies to be seen. But you know, you're not better that they didn't censor the film just to gain. Well, that it's also it's also Dubai and uh, well, not Dubai, but the United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, and and other combined. It's not that big a market yet. Uh, it's getting there. Well, it is getting there. Getting to where? It no meaning that that the box office is is you rising could, in that. Right, it's rising, uh, but maybe if you were lucky, your big Hollywood movie would make $10 million in the whole region, right? In the Saudi and Middle East region. It's a good question. I I made a note to myself to find out, what is that market worth? I'm going to find out. Maybe we should have somebody from Comscore come on and tell us. That's right. That would be very inside baseball, don't you think? I think so. Keep going. Well, inside baseball, that's where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. And here's how these stories will affect you. If you live in certain parts of the world, your movie theaters will be either closed or restricted. Well, here's what happened. I was reading the marquee, the CJ presents, you know, Sayuloy Junkie presents the marquee, uh, the Patrick Von Sikowski newsletter. You should all subscribe to that. It's sponsored by Dolby. Unlike our podcast, which is not sponsored by Dolby, but good for them. It's sponsored every week. And there were like three or four stories that I hadn't heard about and I found of interest. So it was a great resource for me. And hopefully we get Patrick on the show sometime soon to talk about some of those stories. But they had mentioned a couple things about the box office coming up ahead and how much is the pandemic going to screw this up in Omicron. And he said, look, exhibitors are very excited by Spider-Man No Way Home. That's been a big story this week. Pre-sales are through the roof. Spider-Man is the most popular Marvel character of all. Spider-Man is like Batman is for DC. Spider-Man is huge. And this movie is going to be through the roof. No matter what's happening, people are going to want to go to the theater and see this film. Maybe it won't make a billion dollars like the last one, but it will make $700 million worldwide because it's that big. So it's going to make money, maybe not as much as it should or could if there are shutdowns, but it will make money. So that's great to see. And Patrick said overall, he's a little more hopeful. A couple of weeks ago, he's like, look, there are going to be shutdowns. And he's right. There are shutdowns. There are a number of countries. The Netherlands has shut down after 5 p.m. Some other small regions have shut down. And we know territory by territory, region by region, they shut down in different ways and have different impacts on the box office. And Patrick said, and I quote, it's important to stay hopeful and realize that unless the latest variant, meaning Omicron, turns out to be much worse than the most dire predictions, then we will not see a repeat of the extended lockdown of the past 12 months. Most countries closing have said it will only be a few weeks, and markets like Russia and China have already reopened after the latest round of shutterings. So it's a short, sharp shock. That's an old uh, labor union phrase, I think. Uh, So that's what we're looking at rather than six months or a year where we're all shut down. So I agree with that. I think that's I I agreed before when he said, yes, there's going to be shutdowns, but I also agree it's not going to be the same, right? What's happening in North America in terms of shutdowns? Nothing. Right. It varies by state by state, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, whether you can get in like, so 
supposedly, uh, when I went to the movies the other day, they were supposed to check to see whether I was vaccinated. What they would have seen is, oh, you are vaccinated and you've got your booster. Uh, but, you know, they, nobody asked me for anything oh, other did. than a movie ticket. Did you have a card to show or something or a photo? I, I have it on my, you know, actually for those in the U- U.S., you can actually download at least in California, you can download the uh, the digital certificate onto your Apple Wallet. So if you have an iPhone, you can. Have you been show asked it. to show that when you go to a restaurant or a, or a theater or anything else? Anyone? Here's where I was asked Again? to show that, and I think it was very self serving of Apple. Maybe uh, I was asked to show that when I went to the Apple Store. <laughs> so I had to- show us your Apple Wallet. Yeah, uh, and I was asked to show it when I went to the screening of Tigers at Creative Artists Agency. So now the reality is they, they looked at it. They saw that there was a, you know, but I could have been anybody. I could have been borrowing my friend's phone. You know, they didn't that's say, a, show me that. And you- that's, that's not happening. Yeah. yeah. But that's cool. I'm glad they checked. So very state by state, the smart states are requiring proof of vaccination and a mask. So that means there will be fewer concessions sold, but people can still go to the movies. And I will be more likely to go to the movies if I know everyone in the theater is vaccinated. So that's really a positive. Theaters don't want to impose mask or vaccination mandates on their own. They would much prefer the state or federal government do it for them. Then when they say, please show us your proof, they can say, it's not up to us. It's the state. We have no choice. (laughs) They can throw up their hands. But, you know, when you look at North America, the mask mandates, of course, are in democratic states, states with democratic control. And of course, deaths from COVID are much lower in those states. When you don't have mass mandates and you're not requiring vaccination mandates, the death toll is much higher. So I mean, I'm in look, Alabama, let's face it. we got a much higher death toll. Yeah, well, and let's face it. Nobody likes wearing masks. Nobody likes it. Who, who likes wearing I like masks? It, I like it rather than dying. Well, I, okay, I like there it you a go. lot more. So, yeah, and I, in an ideal world, we get through this, we get over it, we throw the masks away. That's right. the ideal thing. So, so it's you, ideally a short-lived thing. Right. Yeah. Europe is just like the U.S. It varies by country to country and in some cases in regions within those countries. In China, the government have we seen is ready to shut down quickly and immediately anywhere they need to or want to. And so they're just like, no, we'll shut it down. But then they will open it up pretty quickly, too. So they're, they have the power to say everybody stay home. Nobody's going to the movies and they will act on it quickly. But then they will just as quickly open things up again if they think they can. And of course, there are no Hollywood movies playing in China until January and The Matrix. Asia, overall, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's happening in Japan or Korea. If you know what the mass mandates are or how theaters are reacting to Omicron, if you're in Africa or Central South America or Australia, we have a lot of fans there, or you're in Korea or Japan, tell us. Yes, and you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on on Twitter, at showbizsandbox is our handle. And we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Now, speaking of celluloid junkie and speaking of other countries, I had the pleasure of speaking with Aya Uzemi. I should have actually practice pronouncing Aya's name because she is the CEO and founder of Gem Partners in Japan. Uh, She will be appearing on the CJ Cinema Summit on December 16th. And she went over what was happening in Japan and the shutdown and when it was shut down and how things came back. And essentially, long story short, 30% of of the cinema patrons have not come back. 
Wow. So they're trying to, you know, a third of a third of cinema patrons haven't come back. And, and naturally, we need to we need to find out where those people are. Well, that was and another good go story. to their house and bring them to the movie theater. <laughs> that was another good story in the marquee. They linked to a survey, a story done by the quorum, which hopefully we'll talk about next week about who is not coming back and why and how we can reach them. Yeah. And, and if you get a chance, go to Aya's uh, website. Uh, we'll place a link to it in the show notes. It's it's uh, uh, Ayo Uzemi. Uh, gem partners. So basically just like in cities and states and counties around the U S around the world, the countries that have a higher vaccination rate, we are doing better and we'll have to shut down far less or far less strenuously than they would otherwise. So the better the vaccinated the country is, the more likely you'll be able to have a vibrant ongoing film business, even amidst the pandemic because nobody wants to die. Yes. However, unfortunately every week people do. And uh, this week, Anthony sure did. Anthony, Anthony, no H. Yeah. That's what I said, Anthony Sure. Oh, very good. Have you ever heard of him, this British actor? He died at the age of 72. I had not. Although I'm not surprised. I, he really was well-known in the theater world. He does have some movie roles to his credit. A great legendary actor, but really, you know, on stage in the UK was where he made his name. He's just a great, great actor. He began in South Africa. He, he came to London to find his fortune. Uh, he was famed for his Shakespeare and performances in countless other classics like Willie Loman in A Streetcar Named Desire. He played Cyrano. When he came to London, he hid the fact that he was Jewish because he realized quickly there's a lot of anti-Semitism in London and there still is. He hid the fact that he was gay and he hid the fact that he was South African because of the whole apartheid thing that was ongoing at the time. He was like, yeah, I don't really want to bring that. So he's like, my entire personality was in the closet. He's like, it was lucky he could tell people he was male. You know, he really had a hard time, but he ultimately became openly gay. Uh, he married director Gregory Duran. They had a great collaboration on a lot of great productions over the years. Also, a terrific writer and painter. His book, Year of the King, documents when he helped create a role of Richard III, a new production of Richard III. He was on crutches for that. Uh, the character was on crutches. And it was a fascinating story of how you create a role and then take it on tour and how it develops and grows and how hard it is. But with sketches and drawings that he did throughout, it's a classic of theater text. Yeah, if you're an actor, you've probably read it or want to read it for sure. Just a, a, a modern classic when it comes to creating a role for the stage and tackling the classic by Shakespeare. And he read a number of other books and novels. Just a terrific talent. And uh, it's a shame to see him go. Well, it's, unfortunately, we are going to go, although you can, you know, keep track of us by subscribing to our podcast in iTunes, the Google Podcast Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you should be able to find us. Uh, please do rate and review us on any one of those podcast aggregators. It does help us out when you do. It would make a lovely Christmas gift. <laughs> and it's, it's cheap. Uh, now, links to all of those ways to subscribe to us. And all the stories we've discussed on today's episode can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to contact us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail, as I mentioned, 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Of course, we're on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle. 
facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. And again, all of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT, and they can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Gilt can be found uh, online, and every week, it's he's got a new and exciting place for us to go visit. What is it this week, Michael? This week, it's House of Guilty. Instead of House of Gucci, House of Guilty. Oh, okay. I got, I got, okay. Well, you know what? If you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on Celluloid Junkie. Until next week, play nice. (laughs) 